Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. Enjoy the message. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Good to be with you. Fantastic. Hi. All right, my friends, we are in uh, Genesis 19. Um, so, uh, we can turn there. Genesis 19. Now, we started this uh, account the last time we were together. Actually, we were in chapter 18, and, and the story, if you will, the account moves right into 19. Uh, but we only got three verses in. Um, so, today we're, we're going to pick up in Genesis 19.4. Um, but it, it would probably make sense if we remind ourselves of some things and perhaps just read the chapter from its beginning. First off, please remember in chapter 18, we saw that uh, some angelic visitors, one of which is the Lord himself, comes and visits uh, with Abraham, reveals to Abraham uh, this uh, coming judgment on his nephew's home, Lot's home in Sodom. And you may recall that's where Abraham begins to plead and says, what if there's 50 righteous? What about 40? What about 30? And goes all the way down to 10. And the Lord says, if you find 10, I won't, um, I won't bring the judgment. And so chapter 19 really is, is he going to find 10 or not? This would, there would be like a to be continued if this was a TV show right at the end of chapter 18. Come back next week and find out. And so that's where we are. So why don't we read uh, chapter 19. Uh, let's read up to verse 11. Okay, it says, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And he said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house, spend the night, wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. And they said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him, and they entered his house. And he made them a feast, and he baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house. And they, call, they called the lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And Lot went out to meet the, excuse me, Lot went out to the man at the entrance. He shut the door after him and he said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you instead and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow, he came to sojourn, and he has become the judge? No, now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot, and they drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands, and they brought Lot into the house with them, and shut the door. That's the angels. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great so that they were themselves out groping for the door. Okay, so uh, quite an account, certainly so here. Um, it is a passage of Scripture that's somewhat well-known. A lot of people are familiar with this passage, a lot of people that don't really like God or uh, Jesus or Christians or the Bible. Uh, they have problems with this uh, passage. So let's take some time and let's kind of go through it. We've already looked in verses 1 through 3 last time, but we'll remind ourselves. Uh, notice that Lot is sitting in the gate of Sodom. Uh, a city would have been walled in. It would just be the way to basically protect yourself at night. And so there'd be one entrance, two entrances perhaps to that city. And the city gate became sort of the town square. Uh, and so this is where people would gather, people would come, they'd sit, they'd spend their time there. It almost became a place of sort of the municipal government as well. So the fact that it says Lot is sitting in the gate of Sodom uh, tells us that Lot has become a leader in this particular city uh, in some way or another. And so people would come and they'd bring their case there, for instance, and I'd like justice on this. And the city fathers would listen to that. Lot was one of those people. So we, we spent some time, we considered uh, that. Um, we also spent some time considering that these angels that we learned about in chapter 18, that they come here into the city and they said, we'll just spend the night in the city square, we'll be fine. So the idea is that they're, they're wandering through the desert, if you will. They're, they're not wandering, they're marching through the desert to get past Sodom. But it's getting late or whatever, let's stop here in the city, uh, we'll get some water, we'll get this and that, uh, and we'll just sleep out in the city square. 
and Lot's like, no, you don't know this town. You're not going to sleep out in the city square. It's not a good idea. And and they know it's not a good idea. That's why they came to this town, remember? Um, so they kind of play along, and they say, uh, no, we'll be fine. And Lot presses them, no, you don't know what you're talking about. you got to come to my house. So they said, all right, we will. So they come uh, to their house. All right, so that is where we pick up. Yes, you know, sir? It's interesting that at evening, Lot was sitting in the city gate. You would think that he'd be home having dinner. I wonder if he this was his practice to sit in the city gate and catch people before they ended up staying in the city square because he knew what was going to happen. Huh. That's really interesting. I mean, wouldn't you think business is over, right? One would think. One would think. Maybe. Maybe they play like marbles or something in the <laughs> evening after dinner or something like that. Or, or perhaps what you're suggesting. <laughs> Which is much better. I like it. <laughs> so I don't know, Mark, but it, it, it's quite interesting. All right, so are we ready to pick up then? Starting in verse 4, again, uh, before they lay down, that is before nighttime, bedtime, uh, the men of the city, word filtered around, men of the city, um, they come to the door. Notice it says both young and old. Notice also it says, uh, I, I, exactly it was, all the people to the last man, it says, um, surrounded the house. I don't know how big Sodom was. It was a sizable city. Um, so how many men is that? 50, 100, 200, 500? Um, they come and they surround. Do you know? No, I, oh, I, I thought you were like, I know. <laughs> okay. And they called a lot. Uh, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Now, know them doesn't mean like, so where are you from? What are you, what are you in town for? Right. It is a term specifically that means in the Bible, uh, know them in a sexual way. And so these men have come uh, to sexually abuse these visitors. Um, now, so this is where it comes into conversation in our day, the, the idea of homosexuality. And uh, in our day that we live in, most people uh, that aren't believers don't believe the Bible. They think homosexuality is fine. Uh, God made them this way. God made me this way. Um, it's about love and, and all these sorts of things. Um, the Bible does speak clearly, and, and we're going to look at some of those places this evening about homosexuality. One of the things that I remember, I was in college, uh, Ryder University. Um, I was studying to be a teacher, school teacher, uh, and we were out doing our student teaching, and they had us come back sometime in March. Uh, we'd been out there about a month and a half. They had us come back. We were going to have a seminar day on the campus. So we were all excited as people that were working hard to try to be student teachers and go through all of that and not get paid and and all of that, and uh, we're like, good, a day off, I can go and just sit and listen. So we go back, and for a day, they preach to us about tolerance uh, there on campus, and we had the dean, who I've never met before, but he came, and he was going to share with us, and so he shared about uh, homosexuality and how uh, it's wonderful, and everyone should, uh, in the class should accept it, and so on and so forth. And so I didn't agree, necessarily, and so, well, not at all, and so I, I raised a couple of points about it, or whatever, and he said, well, do you know what the real sin of Sodom was? And I said, I believe I do. And he said, he said well, I'm sure you're familiar with Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, aren't you? I said, why don't you tell me what that says, Dean, whoever you are? Uh, and this is what it says. Is anybody familiar with Ezekiel sixteen forty nine? Is that one of your memory verses? Right? Huh? It has to do with oppression. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Who say who? Hospitality. Hospitality. Yeah. yeah. So this is what it reads. It says, "Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease. Ease, but they did not aid the poor and needy." So that tells us, right, this was the guilt, this was the sin of your system, Sodom, uh, sister Sodom. Pride, excess of food, you know, wealth and all this, but didn't uh, help the poor and needy. Okay. So that means we ignore... Eliminating the homosexual issue. But that's what Ezekiel said. Right. Oh, okay. So is, you're saying Ezekiel said homosexuality is Okay. Do no, you think I'm saying that? No, I don't <laughs> think so. That's why I'm, I'm being the devil's advocate. But he was. He was he definitely. Was he was so using that. Scripture to back up his yeah. view, right? Because yeah. it didn't say, the verse didn't say, this, is, right. this the is the only sin of Sodom. Right. It said these are the sins of Sodom. Yeah. Yeah. And if you go to look at Ezekiel chapter 16, that's the context right. 
that Ezekiel is writing about, he's comparing Israel and their sin at that time in the book of Ezekiel with this particular aspect of the sin of the people of Sodom. Which so, is a perfect example of somebody taking mm-hmm. scripture out of context yeah. for yeah. their own purposes. Yeah. So anyone that reads, well, I'll ask this question, is there anyone that reads Genesis 19 that I just read without explanation that doesn't know what's going on here? It's pretty clear what's going on. Yeah. I, you know, I explained the word no, you know, like that it means sexually and things like that. Um, and so maybe that's something that you need a little clarity on or something like that. But besides that, it, it seems pretty clear what's going on here. Um, now, then his next argument, I don't know if this is what he said, I don't remember to be honest with you. But the next argument would be, well, no, the problem wasn't homosexuality. It was essentially rape. And that's what these guys were looking to do. They were looking to rape these guys here. But consensual love and so on and so forth, you know, that's okay. All right, so how would you respond to that statement? Let's move forward a couple of <laughs> Okay. To Romans. Ro- that's a lot of books. Okay, so the book of Romans. All right. Do you know anything in there about the book of Romans, what it says? or? Well, that's not talking about homosexual One, maybe? Is it one? Right at the end of the chapter, maybe? Okay. All right, so uh, John said 126. Um, are you there, John? Yeah. Do you want to read that? And then, Mark, let us know if this is what you were thinking. <laughs> For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations with those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Okay. Was that what you were thinking? Okay. So with that now having been read to the group, uh, how does that support your point? Well, it's not saying that it's, you know, men raping other men. It's saying... They were consumed each other, one to the other. So mm. it's definitely consensual in that. It seems like Very good. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's a good point. Okay. What else? Anyone else? Oh, yes, sir. My opinion, um, the context of that part of Scripture, it's a judgment. Which part? We just read. The Romans part. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that is a judgment. Why? You just from memory, you remember that? Well, let's go... Before that, briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sorry, which verse? Well, several times. Uh, Romans 1. Give me a second. I'll um, I think he's, it's going to be verse 24 he's going back to. The ones that my friend John read were verse 26. Yeah, I'm 24. Yeah, I'm over. Verse 24. Nah, I know where it is. Technology. See that? You need an old-fashioned paper book. Bible, buddy. I do have one in my car. I'm sure you do. Yes. Back up. And I usually wind up giving it to someone. All right, here we go. Um, now, nah, before that, uh, where is it? Number 24. Now, nah, the creation. Um, uh, All right, well, verse 18. Ah, here we go. Got it. Okay, 20. go ahead. Um, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes to the eternal power and divine nature have been understood and observed by what he made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Instead, their thoughts turned to worthless things, and their senseless hearts were were darkened. Though claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images that looked like mortal human beings, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. For this reason, God delivered them to sexual impurity, etc., and then, I see that as a curse. I see that as a judgment. The like a, a societal thing where it becomes accepted, and those people are delivered to that passion, whatever you want to call it. That goes stuff, that huh? goes against what God designed. Okay. Already, I got you. I, I think if you look back in history of all the great empire societies, whatever, whatever you want to call them, 
stuff of this began their downfall. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. All Greek, right. Roman, yep. Babylon, Assyrian, whatever. This type of acceptance of, like, this type of behavior exists, but it, like 60 years ago it wasn't condoned or endorsed. Or promoted. Or now and, and so on, there's yeah. an endorsement of it by the general society. <coughs> now, okay. And again, let me clarify. You don't bash gay people and lynch them and, you know, persecute them. It's That's not, that's equally as wrong. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between, like, love your neighbor and endorse what they do. You can't endorse that behavior. Well, I think that's a good point. Somebody want to say something else? I was going to say, it's, but it's that, that verse is repeated in 26 and 28 as well. Yeah. God gave them over. So right. that's what you're saying. The that's judgment is, it isn't the like they're waiting for the judgment. Like yeah. That is the judgment. Yeah, they're already in the judgment. God's yeah. wrath is, is in their life because of this. And okay. it's a progression I do think it's a good point that uh, Barron brought up, and that is homosexuality is not the only sin that exists in the world. Um, I I do think that Romans chapter 1 seems to indicate that it may be one of those sort of further down the line of depravity sort of thing, almost like in your own life when you were a kid you had your sin, but then as you began to get a little bit older you just began to more and more rebel and do things you never thought you would do and you kind of move down that. Um, It seems that that is, to me, that's what Romans chapter 1 is sort of indicating. But homosexuality is not the only sin. So I I do remember, I was working with a youth group years ago and you'd, you'd have these kids come in and they would say things about... Um, this was in the 90s, uh, you know, about gays and homosexuals and things like that. And I know some of those kids were involved in fornication and things like that. And, you know, we would point out in the scripture the the very condemnation that's going to come against those that are homosexuals is you're under that common condemnation right now as well because you're in sin yourself and you stand here in judgment of somebody else. And so we do need to be careful with that. I, I agree with you. We need to be careful how we treat those that find themselves either uh, giving into homosexuality or struggling with homosexuality. I don't think it's a sin to struggle with homosexuality, and that is be tempted toward it or whatever it may be, whereas some people are tempted to anger or to this or to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But giving into it, I do believe the Bible makes very clear, uh, is sin. But I also don't think it's the unpardonable sin. And I think a person that has given into it or is giving into it or is living in that particular lifestyle... God can come in and, and bring change. We're going to have a lady come in here uh, in the spring um, who God changed her life. Um, so it should be a lot of fun. So. Patty? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think there's another aspect to it, too, that I think mm-hmm. that, you know, you get to the end of that of that chapter. The Romans one? Yeah. Uh-huh. And it says, you know, not only did they do these things, but they also mm-hmm. uh, gave approval to those who practiced Yeah. Them. So... The person that struggles with adultery, or with, or with fornication, or with you know um, lying, or with or with whatever, you usually don't see them going out and saying, "Yeah, I'm an adulterer, accept me for who I am," or "Yeah, I rob banks, accept me for who I am." But this particular sin is one of the very few ones that people are out there saying, you know, we're here, we're queer, get used to it, or whatever they say. It just is a That's different. That's who I am. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a justification. Yeah, there's there's absolutely no. Well, fault. for now, because we've also seen the website that supports adultery that people got busted on. Yeah. No, no, but it's, but the thing is, is generally in culture, people still look down on that. They still so say far. But my point is, okay. I I know what you're saying. Like at some point, every sin, if if it keeps going the way it is, every sin will be accepted by somebody. You know what I mean? Like, I it, it will be approved. Yeah. By you know, and that's, uh, if you look at verses, can I just read Romans 1, 28 to the end? Yeah. Because I think it points out something that you guys are touching on. It says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Yeah. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful. Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. 
and though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Now, this is the point I want to make. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. And so it's a sign of a culture that has been given over, not just in the area of homosexuality, but certainly it's one of the areas where even if I'm not the homosexual and out there doing it, but I'm promoting it, I'm, I'm giving approval to it, championing it, and so you know, The sin that was not accepted or approved of or supported mm-hmm. 50 years ago now is, in another yeah. 20, 50. So, but, you know, we're, yeah. we're taught to hate the sin and not the sinner. Sure. We, we want to love the person, but we can't also, to me, I think we can't just say, well, that's just one sin that's, you know... Uh, they're all going to be in the end, it, as in the days yeah. of Noah. It's yeah. all going to be a hot mess, and it's all going to be accepted the same way. I don't think any any particular sin is going to be any more or less liked and approved of than any other. Mm-hmm. I right. think when we get to the evil end, you're going to see all bets are off. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on then. So. Uh, Verse 6 says, Now Lot went out to the men at the entrance, and he shut the door after him. You can picture him doing so, like almost, I have a dog that tries to get out the door when you, when you open it, so you, you're squeezing as little part of your body out as you can, and um, it seems that's what he's doing. He says, I beg you, my brothers, don't act so wickedly. Um, and now notice what he does now in verse 8. He says, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out, and you can do with them as you please. Now, how Lot thinks that this is somehow better than this other option is beyond comprehension. Now, it does speak to the fact that there was a very high um, a high concept or idea of if somebody came into your home, it was your obligation to care for them and, and all that. But it's also your obligation to care for your daughters or whatever. And I can't help but wonder if the mores of this city have begun to wear off a little bit on on Lot, where it sure seems like it. Um, so he says, I beg you, my brothers. Now, why is it that he is call, calling an angry mob of crazed homosexuals his brothers? Oh, a kind uh, word turns away wrath. Is that, in the Bible? Is that what he's, uh, he's going for? I don't know. But somehow he's comfortable enough to call him his brothers. Um, you know, I wonder. Yeah. To your previous point, yes, ma'am. Um, he started out living near Sodom, mm-hmm. but then he ends up right in the gate. Yeah. So he was. It's easier for non-believers to pull believers down mm-hmm. than for believers to pull non-believers up. It's a great point. So. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. And this particular piece speaks to. I mean, I, we don't know. I, I don't know. You know, at this point when his inappropriate relationships with his daughters had begun. But he, later on, creates new generations, right? Cause yeah, but they got him drunk there. Yeah. Okay. So I don't think he was having incestuous relationships with them. Well, he certainly didn't respect them. So, yeah, I got that. So he already didn't have respect for them. So even if they got him drunk, mm-hmm. most guys who get drunk don't think, you know, I'm just saying, like, every guy who gets drunk doesn't think to be inappropriate with their daughter. Some do, some don't. They may have gotten him drunk. But what I'm saying is everybody was affected by being in that city. The daughters, everybody. And I'm going to come back to that, absolutely. Yep. All right, so, uh, again, he says, don't do anything to these men, verse 9. But they said, stand back. And they said, now, it seems that there's sort of a level of respect for him. Look, we don't want to hurt you. You know, we know who you are, you're the guy up the road or whatever, mm-hmm. but we will if we have to. Um, and they said, this fellow came to sojourn with us, and he has become the judge. The idea is, look, get out of the way, we won't hurt you, but we will hurt you if we have to. Um, and so then they said, now we'll deal worse with you than with them. And, you know, I, I wonder if, he called them brothers earlier, I wonder if, you know, Lot took the vein of, I'm just going to love people into the kingdom. I'm going to be nice to them. I'll shovel their driveway when it snows, and hopefully they'll become born again somehow from that. And that's not really evangelism. Certainly we're supposed to do those things, but we also need to speak truth into people's lives. And, you know, even if our evangelism is God loves you, he's got a wonderful plan for your life. I keep pointing at you, I'm sorry. 
But he does. He has a good. Yeah, he's got a good plan for your life. Yeah, yeah. You know, if he would have come out, if he would have come out and said, "Don't, don't do this thing that's wicked," and not offered his daughters, then you could have maybe right given him a little bit. Right. Of that's what I'm thinking. He's like all on board. This guy's an idiot. The <laughs> <laughs> plain and simple. Let's think about it. This guy's an idiot. Yeah. Yes. Well, he's making foolish choices. Yes, sir. He's probably scared. <laughs> okay. There's whatever the whole city. Sure. The whole city of dudes is like ready to knock his house down, and you know, again, his spiritual state is questionable. And even if, say if he was fully filled with the spirit, you got a hundred, three hundred, five hundred raging lunatics coming at you. But what kind of spirit? I don't think he was filled with the spirit. No, I didn't say he. I didn't say that. <laughs> I said. Even if he was filled with the spirit, you got five hundred nut jobs running at you to get your guests. You you might stumble. <laughs> so I I mean, and he yeah. was. I don't think he was indwelt with the spirit. I mean, or clearly wasn't filled like we were. But you know, he was not in the right place spiritually. And then on top of that, these raging lunatics are coming after him. I would sense he was scared. I'd be scared. <laughs> yeah, you know, some of us get scared when I mean, I'm a tough one guy. person says, "You call yourself you're a Christian, right?" And I mean, you, know, you really believe that? And we get a little nervous yeah. and compromise, perhaps. Right. So that that's a reasonable yeah. point. Okay. And you may have been thinking like, "Whoa, how did I get here?" You know I, mean? I don't even think he's thinking that. It's just like, oh, <laughs> how do I get out of here? <laughs> yeah, I would be, I'd be freaking out. It's about to lock. Yeah, it is, and and I'm gonna come today. You're taking all my good stuff. I'm sorry. All right, okay, but uh. Our friend here, this is the, I know, we've all been stuck in a house. This is the result of some compromised decisions. Uh, Robin pointed out that he looked at Sodom. It looked great. It looked wonderful. He made his decision based on that. Then he sort of pitched his tent. Then he wandered down there a little bit closer. Then he set up shop, and he lived there. Uh, And those decisions were made basically fleshly. He didn't remember. We said he, he lifted up his head. He looked around, but he didn't lift up his head high enough and pray and ask the Lord what he would have. Um, it led to a life of carnality, um, which just basically means following the flesh. Uh, and now that's all kind of catching up with him because it notice it destroyed his witness. They laugh him off uh, here in this particular thing. He thought they were brothers, but when push came to shove, they just turned on him. Uh, and it says in nine, they pressed hard against him, drew near to break down the door. Um, but then now notice verse 10 but the men, that's the guys inside uh, the visitors they reached out their hands and they brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door is that supernatural? Yes. not necessarily but the next one is and they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house they both may be supernatural but definitely that second one is and both small and great so that they wore themselves out groping for the door now notice that they have been struck with blindness and they're still trying to get in and break down the door, you know, and, and I, there's, there's a point there. Anybody see the point there? (laughs) Yep. I'm going to throw this, I'm going to throw this out there. Okay, go for it. Somebody mentioned it. Um, and it it sort of brings in the Nephilim again, I'm sorry. Um, that there was, it's possible that these two guys, even they look like humans, that some of the people in Sodom had seen, you know, fallen angels before, and that's why there was all this more drive to to have something going on with the, these these angels, with these with these people, mm-hmm. right? So just Does throw that out there. Is there anyone who has no idea what Mark's talking about? Because we spent some time discussing this in chapter six and seven ish. Anybody want to admit it, that they don't know what we're talking about? <laughs> okay, well, I'm assuming you all understand what he's referring to. No, again. Thank you for checking. Yeah. Again, that's reasonable. That's so reasonable. Wait, so, Mark, you're saying the two angels you think possibly... No, no, I'm saying that people in, somebody in Sodom may have seen these guests when they came in. And before they got they were... And said, there's something weird about these guys. They look like angels. And, ooh. The angels were here before, uh, you know, the whole okay. like fallen angels, Nephilim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. so the I don't know. To get. Well, you are just... I'm no, just I, I think it's fun to consider. Yeah. It strikes me, though, how yes, ma'am. fast this news travels. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. these strangers come in, 
they have a brief conversation with Lott. He tells him to get inside, and now the whole town is out there. Mm -hmm. If you've ever been to a gay bar, totally, <laughs> totally, totally makes sense. I didn't know. Right, raise your hand if you've been to a gay bar. No, okay. Well, I don't know. And some of the towns aren't enormous. You know what I mean? So. But, but I hear what you're saying. Like it is that you're right. When there is a drive, it goes fast. Maybe so. All right, let's go on. Verse 12. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Uh, Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, anyone you have in the city, bring them out of this place. For we're about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord and the Lord sent us to destroy it. So now everyone knows who they are and what they're there for. So everyone meaning Lot. So Lot went out, and he said to his son-in-laws, who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. All right, now he's witnessing, okay, if you want to think of it this way, and notice their response, but he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. Why? Why would they think he was joking about God's judgment, unless perhaps in the past, he sort of joked about God's judgment. Uh, or, you know, that was sort of my way to let you know I don't really approve of what you're doing, but not really, I don't want to be too offensive or too harsh or anything like that. Um, but notice, let's go back and look at these. He says, have you anyone else here? That goes back to the conversation in chapter 18 where Abraham and is uh, interceding on behalf of his nephew. Um, and he said, would you indeed destroy the righteous with the wicked? You know, what if there's 50? What if there's 40? What if there's 30? He goes all the way down to 10, but notice God goes all the way down to zero, essentially, here. He says, because you've got to get everyone that is righteous out, because I can't bring up, we can't do what we came here to do until everybody is out of here. So that answers the question of how low God would have gone uh, in the uh, negotiations. Um, it looks like uh, he... Like, uh, Abraham was not successful in finding ten people at this point. So yeah. They just gave up and and said, okay, okay, we're, it's a losing proposition. We probably won't, and we won't find the ten. Yeah, they, they can't even find that many. Mm -hmm. um, you're absolutely right. Um, so he says, let's get out of the city. Um, now... Lot has to come out. Why does Lot have to come out? Because he is righteous. He's righteous. Okay, now, that seems hard for me to believe. Yeah. Because he picked Sodom based on how wonderful it was. He essentially disrespected his uncle, who instead of deferring to him and said, no, you pick and I'll, I'll take whatever you don't want. Uh, he ends up setting up shop in the town in this, and he knows what Sodom has become, and yet he still lives there and all these things. He's not making a whole lot of righteous decisions, but we do know that he's righteous for two reasons. One, he has to come out of the city before God can judge it. And two, it says in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 7, that he is righteous. It says that his righteous soul was vexed um, at the sin of the town that he was in. So it forces us then to ask the question... Uh, how can a guy doing what he's doing, including offering up his own daughters in this particular way, how could he be considered righteous? Which forces the question, how is righteousness attained and how is it maintained? Well, it's obtained through blood of Jesus. Okay. In our context, yes. And what about the blood of Jesus? Because any guy on the street... Is righteous because Jesus died on the cross? Uh, yeah, Can we call that? Grace. Or, <laughs> or my belief in that grace, and that is? Hey. <laughs> there you go. All right, very good. That's how it's attained. Maintained. And looking towards the cross, even if you stay off a little. And looking toward it in. <laughs> <laughs> Not in the future. Faith. Faith. Yeah. What does Paul say in Galatians when that group of people, they wanted to essentially add to their 
uh, faith. Remember with circumcision and all that? He said no. He said don't do it. <laughs> Amen. He said having begun in the spirit, are you now going to be made perfect in the flesh? He said don't you, don't you remember? Abraham our father was justified by faith. He believed God and that was credited to him as righteousness. So our righteousness is attained by faith. I think sometimes as evangelical Christians, we forget that our righteousness is maintained by faith as well. Alrighty? Now, should we just go off and stray and do all sorts of things because everything's cool? You know, I got faith. No, that, that's an indicator you don't really have uh, faith, perhaps. Okay? Or you're certainly going to skew. What would you say, man? I interrupted you. I just quoted Paul, be it not so. I love what he says there. May it never be. All right. Now, look at verse 8 of, no? Uh, look at verse 14. It says, Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law. But back in verse 8, it says that his daughters have not known any man. That they were virgins, that obviously they weren't married. So how could he have sons-in-law, but his daughters not be married? Perhaps. Or Maybe. Okay, what does that mean for those who don't um, use that yeah, word? In our culture, it would be engagement, but it was a little more legal then. Like once you were betrothed, you were legally bound, even though you haven't consummated the marriage. Okay, so it's not a contradiction in the Bible. No. No. All right, everybody's okay. All right, fantastic. Uh, and as I said, but it seemed to be his, to his sons-in-law that he was jesting. And why would it be again that they would think he's jesting when he's talking about coming judgment? Um, and it seems to me very clearly, Lot has lost his credibility in that town. It's almost like, you know, he got caught in a particular thing, and it's like, you know, maybe you should just sit this one out and keep your mouth quiet here. Um, let somebody who hasn't ruined their witness, let them speak into this. Do you guys know who Penn Gillette is? Yes. yes. Who is he? You know who he is. The magician. Penn and Teller. No. Okay, apparently I don't know who that is. There's the magicians, the one never talks, and the other one with the long hair is the one who always talks. I don't know who he is. Mm. Yeah, the uh, the one who's mute, who's, who's <laughs> silent, and the and the uh, tall one, uh, yeah, like great, like um, Jay. Yeah. yeah. So Penn Gillette is the talker. If you know who they are, he's a magician guy. He's not a believer. He is uh, he's a nice enough magician. Magician. He's pretty good at what he does or whatever, and all that. But he's an outspoken atheist uh, and all that. But he said something the other day uh, about Christians. And he said this, he said, you know, the thing that, the reason why I have a real problem with a lot of Christians is because they don't evangelize. He said, I would have great respect if Christians evangelized about their faith, because if they really believed that if you didn't believe in Jesus, you would go to hell, then they would tell everybody about it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. and, and I was thinking about his statement, I think he's absolutely correct, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it kind of uh, convicts, actually, a little bit. And so the thing I think here, how the connection I'm making is, if Lot really believed these things in the past, then how come he didn't tell the community about it in the past? Now you're going to run around and, and try and stop all these things in the past before, but now all of a sudden you want me to believe you? That a coming judgment is going to come? I don't believe you. And so they laugh at him. Boy, how sad. Um, Let's keep reading, verses 15 to 22. Now as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your daughters with, uh, who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But Lot lingered. So the men seized him, grabbed him by the arm, if you will, and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. Can you believe that? I should underline in our Bibles. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said... Uh, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you've shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. And he said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. Okay? All right. Uh, 
15, <coughs> up with an exclamation point. Let's go. There's a rush, panic, um, and all of this. He says, grab your wife, grab your daughters, um, lest you be swept away in the punishment. Now, he says in verse tw 21 or so, I can't do anything until you're out of the city. I forget what verse exactly it was. Um, but nonetheless, verse 22, um, lest you be swept away. Notice, though, with Lot, it says, but he lingered. There's a coming judgment. And he's lingering in the city that's about to get judged, that just did these things that we described and all of that. Why do you think he's lingering? He likes it. He doesn't want to give it up. Okay. Maybe he has, you know, his roots there and his life and yeah. his wealth yeah. and everything that he Stop. has. His comfort. Yeah, his comfort, right. Yeah. Oh, he really doesn't believe God's going to destroy the city. Maybe he doesn't really believe it. Is that what he said? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, could be that too. He accumulated so much stuff that he wanted to take uh, as much of it as he could with him. Try and pack it all up. Okay, maybe yeah. that. Uh huh. We don't really know exactly. So so far, all but, of these are correct. But if you later on, it sounds like he's he's just overwhelmed with the idea. So it could just be that he's totally overwhelmed with the fact that you know judgment's coming, and he's just completely like he's like uh, what do they call it? like fear struck or. Awesome. Like paralyzed almost. Yeah. 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 Okay. In shock. Yeah. Well, there's certainly a lack of urgency. Uh, and it's been said that a lack of urgency in the things of God is a common sign of compromise. And so maybe that's what's going on here. His heart, it seems, is here in Sodom. Uh, first his eyes look toward it. Now his heart is actually rooted here. Uh, and again, you've probably heard this phrase. Um, applied to Lot here. Lot had too much of the Lord to be happy in the world, but he had too much of the world to be happy in the Lord. And so he's sort of in this place of limbo here. And so he's lingering here in this particular city. Notice though it says the Lord, uh, the Lord being merciful to him. Um, it's going to pull him out of this judgment, but in a sense, and we know the story, but in a sense, he's getting dangerously close to bringing judgment upon himself. You know, he's playing with fire here. Um, and, and I think sometimes we do that with sin. We, we should be like Joseph, who, when the sin, he was encountered with the sin or tempted with the sin, he got up and he ran out of the room because he didn't want to give in to the sin. And I think sometimes what we do as Christians, we make the mistake of thinking, I'm okay with this, or... How close to that line can I get? You know, how much of it can I watch before I flip it off uh, the TV? How far can I go? Can I go to that particular place and not really get into the center of things, just hang on the periphery a little bit? Uh, and all of those decisions are essentially, a mis I think they're mistakes. I, I really do. Um, nothing good comes from them, and it's just a matter of time. And it may not be that time, but... You know, you watched up to this line, the next time you're going to watch up to that line, and the next time up to that line. And, you know, the devil doesn't care if you do it today or you do it a year from now. He really could care less. He's got plenty of time. Well, he's got a limited time. Uh, we know that to be true. All right, so the Lord is merciful to him, um, which is really a, almost an answer to Abraham's petition. Remember how Abraham is interceding and God is answering that? Yes, sir. Well, it's also the Lord's the Lord's pulling them out. Mm -hmm. It's it's not the wrong, I mean, it's a clear picture of salvation. You know, it's not like God says, okay, come on, be saved. He grabbed you and pulled yeah, you across the Yeah, he did, he did. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. All right. Um, we, yeah. Well, and again, the angel said, I cannot do anything until you get out. Preacher <laughs> rapture. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, I, here we go. Clear my throat there. I think that's, I mean, not that it's doctrine, but it's my conviction. I think that's a, an Old Testament type of that. Because the angel's saying, I, as long as you're here, the wrath that is impending on this, whatever, can't happen. Yeah. And so. a lot of people point to that, and this is an example of that. And I think there's a, it's a reasonable if you conclusion. Right, pre-wrath rapture.
Whatever. Mm. We'll all find out. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, it's before the wrath is I'm what gonna you're suggesting. You'd be a stayist. <laughs> <laughs> all right, verse 17. Both of those, though, the argument that you're making, both of those apply in mm-hmm. that instance there. All right, so verse 17. Notice they say, escape for your life. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. Don't look back. We need to look forward. Remember Jesus says in chapter Luke, any man who looks back after putting his hand to the plow is not fit for the kingdom of God. You know, I I think, I wonder, um, over the years I've heard a lot of Christians share testimonies, and I think that's awesome. I love to hear people's stories or whatever. But I think sometimes we, we get so excited about sharing about our past, and that's all the good stuff, we spent 50 minutes talking about all the horrible things that we did. And God came in, he saved my life. And have a good night, everybody. You know, this kind of thing. And I would much rather spend my time talking about the good work that God is doing and what he saved me to and not so much what he saved me from. Um, so, anyway, if you do that, stop it. Right? Just be careful with that. All right, verse 18, Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords. Now, Lot made the terrible decision to move his family to Sodom which was a bad decision. Mm -hmm. And now the angels are saying, we're going to help you correct that bad decision, and he wants to debate with them about where to go next or whatever. Maybe he should just be quiet and say, I'll go wherever you tell me to go. Hopefully um, you can help me make a good decision. But he doesn't. Verse 19, "Your, your servant has found favor in your sight. He says, I can't escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Uh, I don't know if that means... Like he sees the fire or whatever falling from heaven and it's too far to run and I can't get there. Or I, I don't know exactly what that means, but he's essentially, they said to go to the hills, that's where you should go. Mm-hmm. Uh, verse 20, behold the city, it's near enough to flee to. Mm-hmm. But then he says this twice, which I, I don't know why. He says, it's a little one. Let me escape mm-hmm. there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. Mm-hmm. Now, we've been talking about this you don't need that phrase, it's a little one there at all. The story is fine without it, and you can understand what's going on, but it's included, and it's included twice. And the name. And the name Zoar means little city or whatever. And so it's included there for a reason. So as Bible students, I don't know if we know the answer, but at least we should think about the answer. And say, all right, so why does he keep saying that? So why do you think it keeps saying that? Okay, I like where you're going. A little bit of compromise. I can handle it. I'll be all right. That's good, Ruth. I like that. Well, verse 21 seems to clarify a little bit. Behold, I give you this request also, not to overthrow the town of which you have spoken. So it seems that that town was included with the judgment. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So now it's being taken out of the judgment. Okay, you can go there and we'll let that one stand. Hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. He's saying, though, and it is small, and then the second time he says, is it not small? He's he's asking a question, mm-hmm. and that's confusing why he's, he say, says it's small, and then he says, is it not small? He's like, It's like he's asking the, the, the angels, it's just a little bit... Uh, a little town where I can just hang out for a couple of days until my my family can hang out for a couple of days until until the uh, things get settled mm-hmm. and then we'll move on. Yeah. So, anybody else? Um, to me, it looks like the comparison of the difference between taking a big stand and just kind of skating under the water. Okay, yeah, uh-huh. All right, good. Um, I jotted a couple things down. One is, essentially, he's saying something like, well, you know what, that's extreme to go way up there. Isn't this okay far enough to go into this particular place? Um, it's just a little thing. It's not. I can handle it, you know, all these kinds of thoughts that we have, and we know that it's rarely true. Um, so he says, like Bob said, he said, all right, I won't. Uh, verse 22, escape there quickly. I can do nothing there until you arrive. As somebody pointed out, it says the name of the city was called Zoar. That that means little. Um, 
All right, so that is that. We're not done, though. We've got a couple more verses. 23, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and the, all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Um, there are no remnants of Sodom and Gomorrah, these cities, um, anywhere. Um, you know, like you can see like some foundations or anything like that. There's no remnants of it. Uh, many believe that they're buried beneath uh, the Dead Sea in southern Israel. Um, mm. That may uh, be the case sometimes when... That would explain the sulfur stink down. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, and there's also like... Um, sometimes when the water in the Dead Sea is lower, there, right on the southern coast of it, there are... Um, there's remnants of things that they see. I forget exactly what they are, but... People say that could be like the sulfur and stuff that has fallen down and um, fire from them. So um, who knows exactly. But remember back in Genesis chapter 13, 10, it says that it was a great and prosperous, it, it describes it as being a great cities, beautiful, prosperous, and they were brought to nothing um, in this particular judgment. Um, Genesis 14, they had experienced God's deliverance. That's the, the account where Abraham goes and he gets him and then Melchizedek and all of that stuff. Um, and yet, despite that, they rebelled and they experienced the consequences of it. Um, you know, sometimes we, we want to pray um, and seek prosperity and doing really well. And I'm not talking about like the people on TV. I'm just talking about like, like America and prosperous and we want to be wonderful and everything is great and all of that. And it not necessarily always good for us you know um, there's a real danger that can come with it that we have to be just as on our guard against than say if we had nothing you know and uh, we were going to go rob a bank or something like that and we'd have to be on our guard against that um, so uh, we see how that has sort of played here now Lot's wife what does she do looks back, looks back. just want to kind of take a quick glance and God says I told you not to even take a glance is that it and God says that's it yeah, there's, the idea is that she, she looks back longingly yeah. for it. She wants to be back there. Everything that she loves, all the people that she loves, all the stuff that she loves going on there was being destroyed. We don't, um, it doesn't say when Lot got his wife, does it? Uh, I don't think she ha he had a wife when he went there. Yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah, so he got his wife there. So. Now Jesus tells us to remember Lot's wife. Now, when you go to Israel with us in June of 2017, um, you drive by, you're down in the desert area, and there is a, like a rock structure that's all pointy and all this stuff, and stalactites or whatever, I don't know what all that stuff is, but it's probably about the size of a bus, and they tell you that's Lot's wife. Um, I'm thinking, my goodness, wow. she was a large she woman. So, I don't know if that's actually true, but it's a good reminder to remember Lot's wife, as Jesus said. So, let me ask you this. What is it about Lot's wife that we are to remember? What her heart was, where her heart was, her treasures. Uh-huh. So, not to have treasures here. Okay. Guard your heart, keep your treasures in heaven, those kinds of thoughts. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, also referring to what you said before about, you know, when you give your testimony, your heart isn't desiring to go back to your old life before God saved you, right? Yeah. Even bigger than treasures, I think it's even just that, that whole lifestyle. Okay. As a, as a yep, I'm with you. Yeah. Anything I, else? Well, I just sort of wonder if it's, not part of the human condition because I mean you know the Jews did that with with Egypt too. I mean you get we we just have this thing where we're always looking back. Everything looks better when you look back on it, huh. right? You know everything looked great when they were looking back on it, but they were slaves. Mm -hmm. And I, you know I can do that too. Like oh you know I was more secure at this time financially or was it. But it doesn't mean that I was walking with the Lord. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I it's like, you. what are we willing to compromise? And I just think it's a human condition to, 
to look back and say, you know, like, oh, yeah. you know, you forget. There's this amnesia. So there's, it's a condition that's countercultural to the Christian yeah. Um, yeah. It's just to godliness, flesh, essentially. It's a flesh. Okay, it, so yeah. something we have to counter-attack. Just to expand on what you said, is it like um, it's, things are familiar, you know what to expect, mm-hmm. you're not stepping out in faith to the unknown, yeah, it's less you're not putting scary. your trust in Jesus mm-hmm. and God to lead the way, so you, you know what you have, you know what you have experience, so you're putting your faith in those things other other than uh, oh no. Mm-hmm. It's just a fear. It's a fe- you know, we have a natural mm-hmm. fear of the unknown. Right. Right. Which is a little point too, but as mm-hmm. as Lot wasn't very protective of his daughters, yeah. you would think that if he turned around and saw fire and sulfur, he would have taken his daughters and his wife and pushed them ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Like like a man's supposed to put the woman on the inside of the, yeah, the sidewalk. He isn't. He's like he must he's be like up ahead of her. Ahead. Yeah, it says behind her. Whoa, come on, woman. I mean, I, I, I'm sure there's, there may be cultural things that explain that, but you would think that he would be more sure protective. Touching on that, um, just going back, maybe he offered his daughters and trying to get somebody else to stand with him against the crowd, knowing that his daughters had sons of that. Had sons in laws. So he was looking for camaraderie against a little the help, maybe. A little help. Yeah. I don't know. Well, it says, remember her. Certainly, her heart longing for that. But also, notice how many times uh, judgment, the warning of coming judgment is given. Verse 17, they're told, escape for your life. Uh, they're also told in that verse, don't look back. They're told, don't stop anywhere in the valley. They're told to escape to the hills. Verse 22, they're told, escape there quickly. Mm -hmm. All of these warnings are just a couple of verses here, and she doesn't heed any of those warnings. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I think of Galatians chapter 6, it says, don't be deceived, God has not mocked a man reaps whatsoever he sows. And so, you know, sometimes I think we can think, I'll be all right. Yeah, I know what the Bible says, but I'll be okay. I know that example of countless people before me but I'll be okay you know and we think we're going to escape this coming judgment uh, but the reality is uh, we can't it says in Hebrews chapter 2 how shall we escape if we know if we neglect such a great salvation and it's exactly what she is doing here in this passage she is being offered the opportunity for salvation from the judgment and she neglects it and as a result she uh, experiences it I also feel like there's the theme of, you know, in several stories in the Bible, Joseph being one of them we talked about, but it's, you don't hang out and go like, I wonder if God's really serious about that. It's like, no, get up and go. Just do it. Like, when God speaks, do it. Yeah, I Because agree. if I sit and ruminate on it, I can talk myself yeah, out of it. Yeah, that's a good point. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, well, well. I have a question. Okay. Maybe I might answer my question. question. Then, I, guess. I don't know, because I've not, not been studying very long, but a few years. But um, I find it very interesting that she was turned into a pillar of salt. Why salt? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> what is salt? Well, I mean, it, well, that's what I'm thinking. Like, But I just, I, I, I mean, it's not explained anywhere. I just think it's interesting. It's not like she did turn to concrete or yeah. dust or... You know, it was, it's very, tech, it, I mean, it states very clearly that she was turned to a pillar of salt. Hmm. Are you referring to the fact that in the New Testament, salt, as you talked about, is a good thing? Well, I wonder. I, you know, I'm just curious. Like, I think it's interesting that, you know, that that's what she was turned I don't think into. there's anything good about this. No, no, yeah, it's, I'm just, saying it's a contrast to... Yeah, it is a contrast, oh, okay. but I just, right. so I'm like, I wonder you're why salt. You're the salt of the earth, you're the... Yeah, it's just a, I'm just curious if anybody's interested. Not when it loses its flavor. But it, it becomes not when it salty. It like she did. The salt loses its saltiness. It's worth nothing. Okay, so I, I'm just wondering if anybody's ever heard why she would turn to a pillar of salt. I wonder what the uh, composition of like the <laughs> land is down there or anything. Well, it's pretty salty. Dead Sea. Okay, so, all right. I don't know if it was a Dead Sea at that time, though. 
Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. All right. So, my friends, we uh, we're gonna have to stop there. Unfortunately, we're never gonna get through this story. I imagine next week we will. But uh, that's where we uh, will stop. All right. Uh, Baron, you're closing us out. Sure. All right. Let me pray while you right. get on the axe there. Like, as you like to call it. Lord, I uh, I pray for us, Lord. I suspect right now in this room, Lord, none of us would uh, would be like Lot's wife. Lord, we, it just seems foolish to look back. Why would you do that and all of that? But, Lord, circumstances occur, and uh, the drift begins to happen in each of our lives sometimes, and we, we find ourselves in places and making decisions, Lord, that this moment in time would just be a shock to us. And, and Lord, I, I just ask that you would keep us from that. And, Lord, I know that uh, our fixing our eyes on you, Lord, enables that uh, to occur. Somehow, Lord, our action and your work, Lord, uh, meshes and... Uh, you enable us to just run the race with endurance. And so, Father, we pray that prayer, Lord, that each of us would do that. Lord, that uh, those things in the world, our worlds, that um, are alluring to us, that draw our hearts away, Lord, that you would expose them for what they really are. And, Lord, that the beauty of your uh, magnificence, Lord, would uh, encompass our hearts Lord, you'd cause our hearts to enlarge and swell with a greater love for you uh, and your mercy in our lives. So, Lord, we thank you for uh, this time to consider these things tonight. And, Lord, we ask for you to be with us as we go.
Thanks again for listening to the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. If you would like more information about the church, its ministries, its worship services, or its small groups, please visit ccmercer.com or download the church app to your phone.